Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Jesperville Baptist Church. Last week, we preached a message entitled, Know Your Enemy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take that message, and I'm fixing to turn it into a series of messages, which would make today's message number two in the series. The title of the series is The Enemy, and the title of the message today is, What Happens When the Enemy wins. Please enjoy. All right, if you would, I'm going to have you turn to two places in Scripture this morning. Psalm 38 is one of them. The other is 2 Corinthians 7. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians 7 and mark that in your Bible. And then once you have 2 Corinthians 7 marked, I'd like you to turn back to Psalm 38, because Psalm 38 will be our text this morning. Uh, Last Sunday morning, I uh, preached on the enemy, and I talked about knowing your enemy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this into a series on the enemy. So last Sunday was our first message in a series entitled The Enemy, and it was Know Your Enemy. And this will be the second uh, message Uh, in that series. So if you have 2 Corinthians 7, mark that and then turn over to Psalms number 38. Psalms 38 will be what we'll be reading this morning. If you have the places in your Bible and you're physically able, I'm going to invite you to stand one last time for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to begin reading in Psalm number 38. The Bible says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy, hot, in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head, as a heavy burden they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly, I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken, I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desires before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I as a deaf man heard not, And I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope, thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively and they are strong. They hate me, they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. 
They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that is good. Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. The title of the message this morning is When the Enemy Wins. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray the Spirit of God on your house today and on your people. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us and I pray that you'd open our hearts and that you'd open our minds to accept what the Word of God is telling us today. Speak to us this morning. For as it's in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. This morning I'd like to take you inside of a sad, sad room. This is a very, very sad room. This room, if I could borrow your imagination and bring you inside of this room, the reason why this room is sad is because inside of this room is a crying mother and a weeping father. Inside of this room is a family with a broken heart. And the reason why this family's heart is broken the reason why there's a crying mother and the reason why there's a weeping father is because inside this room is a little baby and this little baby has no life in it. I'm inviting you to a funeral today. Oh, let, let's, let me tell you, give you a little background. Yes, the baby's father. Let's talk about the baby's father. The baby's father was a king. The baby's father was a king and, and however... My Bible still says, for the wages of sin is death. Oh, this king was a great man, and the Bible said he was a person, he was a person after God's own heart. He was an author, and he wrote words like, the Lord is my shepherd. His faith conquered a giant named Goliath. But my Bible still also says that when sin is conceived, it bringeth forth death there are pleasures in sin for a season like Ezekiel said the soul that sinneth it shall die now there is something unfair about this funeral there is something very unfair about this funeral and I will tell you what's unfair it, you know this little baby never took a vacation when it was time for the kings to go to war. This little baby never lusted after a woman. This little baby never took, one of, uh, never took a godly man and made him drunk. This little baby never ordered the death of a loyal subject in battle. This little baby never tried to cover up his sin. However... I also want to tell you that the prophet Nathan did not point at this little baby and say, Thou art the man. But the little baby still bore the consequences of daddy's sin. Let me tell you something. David got forgiveness for what he did with Bathsheba. He did. The Bible tells us David got forgiveness. Nathan said in 2 Samuel 12, 13, the Lord also hath put away the sin. Let me tell you something today, Christian. The forgiveness of heaven is complete. It is complete. Hebrews eleven seventeen, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. 
1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Jeremiah 33, 8, I will pardon their iniquities. Micah 7, 19, Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Forgiveness removes sin, but for the child of God, there still can be consequences for it. Even though sin can be forgiven and sin can be removed, there are still consequences for sin. <coughs> David became king at the age of 30. David reigned for 40 years. And it was probably just before David's 50th birthday when David decided to become an adulterer. And uh, uh, the changes to his kingdom because of that were astounding. David was one of the greatest men in the Bible. He was the greatest king recorded in the pages of the word of God. And that one day, that one decision changed everything about his life. For 20 years, King David ruled with the unique blessings of God. But that one time when he submitted to the temptation of the enemy, that decision would affect every corner of his life. I want to tell you this morning that David's family slowly began to crumble around him. For 20 years, he built up a kingdom that is unlike any kingdom that this world has ever seen. And he was so feared that no other kingdom would dare touch him. For 20 years, he built that up. But for the next 20 years, he'll watch it all fall apart. David's Psalms give us a picture this morning of the suffering because of the consequences of sin. Now, I want to tell you something about the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, a lot of these Psalms have titles at the beginning of the Psalm. Now, the titles of these songs are quite fascinating because they tell us a lot about the Psalm. Uh, some of the titles tell us the type of instrument that we use to play the song in question. Uh, some, of the some of the titles, give us background, of the background and tell us about the events that led to the writing of the psalm. Some of the psalms were written for choirs to sing. Some of the songs were written for individuals to sing. But the title to Psalm 38 is powerful. It might say it in your Bible. The title to Psalm 38, it says, A Psalm of David to Bring to Remembrance. You know what David is saying? David is saying, you know what? I've learned some lessons from my sin. David is saying, you know, I can't I've learned some lessons that I cannot afford to forget again. I have reaped the consequences of what I have sowed. And I'm here to tell you today, I refuse to walk down this path again. That's what this title is telling us. That David is saying, Christian, let me tell you something. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay and will keep you longer than you want to stay. 
And I want to tell you today, I want to tell you that many people have talents and many people have abilities, but I want to tell you what the ability of the devil is today. I want to tell you what our, our enemy has a unique ability and the unique ability of our enemy is to make sin look attractive. And how does he do this? How does he make sin look attractive? How he does this is he hides the results of sin. Me and you would do well to remember this morning that sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. The first verse in Psalm 38 uh, expresses David's understanding and fear that he knows God rebukes and chastens his children. Did you know that? God, if you're a child of God, then God will rebuke you and God will punish you and, and God will chasten you because of wickedness, because of sin. We see the same thing in Hebrews 12, 6. The Bible says, for, the Lord whom the, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. You know, God punishes us. You know why God punishes us? God punishes us because he loves us. That's the reason why he punishes us. You know why people don't spank their children? They don't spank their children because they love themselves more than they love their child. Because they don't want to have to put themselves through that. I don't enjoy spanking my children. Not at all I don't. But I know that because I love them, I have to teach them. And they have to know. See, somebody that won't spank their child, they love themselves more than they love their child. See, but God punishes us. God punishes us because he loves us. Verse 1 becomes even stronger because at the end of verse 1, we see the words hot displeasure. Hot displeasure means that God was very, very disappointed in David. The word for hot displeasure in the Hebrew Bible is one word. I'd, I'd, I'd tell it to you if I could pronounce it. And uh, the word for hot displeasure is one word in the Hebrew Bible. In the Old Testament, that word... Uh, occurs 126 times. 103 of those times, it's in reference to the Almighty God. Let me give you some other, some other things that describe this Almighty loving God that we serve. Some of the words that describe God in the Bible are fury, indignation, wrath, and rage. Oh, would you tell me these are words describing a loving God? Yes. You know why? Because I want to tell you about God's heart this morning. I want to tell you about God's heart towards sin. God's heart towards sin this morning is fierce. God has a fierce heart towards sin. But you know what? Instead of listening to me talk about it, Instead of listening to me stand up here and tell you about what God thinks of sin, I'm going to let the preachers of the Bible tell you. 
I'm this morning going to let the preachers of the Word of God preach to you this morning God's attitude towards sin. The preacher Isaiah said in 15, Isaiah 59 and 18, According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. The, the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 21.5, And I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and in fury and in great wrath. The preacher Ezekiel said in 8.18, Therefore will I also deal in fury, mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity, and though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Do you think God has a problem with sin? The next preacher, Preacher Micah, said in 5.15, I will execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. The preacher Nahum said in Nahum 1.6, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. And these are preachers of the Bible who are not afraid to stand up and say that there are consequences to sin. But you know what? That, that's different than today. Today we have a bunch of soft, spineless preachers who are afraid to stand up today and preach on sin because they're afraid, afraid it will affect their offering plate. That's why they don't do it. That's why they don't preach on sin, because they don't want that offering plate to get too low. The Bible says in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You know why there's no fear of God in America today? There's no fear of God in America today because there's no fear of God behind the pulpit anymore. That's the reason why there's no fear of God but let me tell you something. This is all, this is all sounding pretty rough. Man, God, God has a bad attitude towards sin. And man, I don't want the creator of, of all heaven coming down on me. I, I don't want that to happen. But you know what? For every believing sinner, I want to tell you today that God's, uh, God's wrath on sin was poured out on Jesus at the cross of Calvary. All of his wrath for a believing sinner, all of the God's wrath, all the fury and indignation that we just heard about was poured out on Jesus on the cross of Calvary. I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about the God that we just read about, all the fury and all the wrath and all the indignation, all the anger. He poured all that out on his own son for you and for me. That's why he did that. What an amazing grace this morning. What an unspeakable mercy. I want to tell you this morning that Calvary is the place where truth and justice met God's grace and mercy. It's where those, the Calvary is the place where those two things came together. Psalm 85, 10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteous and peace have kissed each other. I want to tell you this morning that while Calvary has absorbed God's anger, and while Calvary took the full payment of sin for me and you, I am here today to tell you that the painful consequences of sin can still affect the child of God. 
I want to take a look at the consequences of David's sin today. I want to look at Psalm 38 and I want to look at the consequences of David's sin. You see, David thought, David thought everything was going to be okay. David sinned with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah the Hittite and married Bathsheba and nobody knew any different. And old David was just bebopping along and he was just, everything was just clouds and rainbows and he was on cloud nine and everything was good. But then one day there was a knock on the door and the prophet Nathan had came to call David out on his sin. Verse two in Psalm 38 says, for thine arrows stick fast in me and thy hand presseth me sore. Let me tell you something. When the arrows of heaven stick in you, it will be more than just a slap on the wrist. This, uh, this thing that happened, the consequences of David's actions altered David's entire life. Here's what happened. The enemy attacked. David buckled. Now he has to face the consequences of his actions. I have 18 statements based on Psalms 38. I'd like you to listen to me as I read these statements to you. These statements are based on Psalm 38. Here's what David is saying. There is no soundness in my flesh. I cannot sleep. I'm in too deep. The burden is too heavy. I stink. I'm in trouble. I'm bowed down greatly. I cannot stop crying. I'm physically sick. I'm feeble and broken. My heart roars. I groan all the time. My heart pants. My strength is gone. My friends and my family have forsaken me. My enemies are emboldened. I'm speechless. My sorrow never leaves me. I'm here to tell you this morning that David's sin affected every area of his life. His body was so physically broken that twice he said, there's no soundness in my flesh. Can you hear it today? Can you hear the agonizing screams as his servants walked down the corridors of the palace? Can you hear the agonizing screams coming from the king's bedroom? The Bible uses the words groaning and roaring Imagine yourself walking down the halls of a hospital hearing a man twist and wail in pain because he can find no relief. That's what this groaning and that's what this roaring was like for David. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, David's sin, the Bible tells us, gave him a loathsome disease. His, you know, his physical, his physical torments also gave him psychological trauma. The Bible says that he couldn't sleep. He couldn't speak. He couldn't shake the sorrow. This depression overwhelmed him and he couldn't get rid of it. Some even think for a time he was a leper. Verse 11 calls his disease a sore, which is mostly used to refer to leprosy. Um, uh, and if he did have leprosy, the fact that if, if he wasn't a king, that would mean that he would be driven from the city. But he was a king, so he wasn't driven from the city. But you know, all these consequences sound pretty bad, but to be honest with you, Psalm 38 doesn't even begin to tip the iceberg 
the consequences of David's sin. Listen to some more of the consequences. His baby died. His daughter was raped by his son. His son was murdered by another son. Family members couldn't talk with each other. His relatives stabbed him in the back. His son led the nation in rebellion against him. And, and that, the list doesn't even stop there. The list goes on and on. I want to tell you this morning that once a person makes a choice, it's too late to go back. Once you make that choice and you make that decision, you cannot go back. Don't you think this morning David would have wanted to go back? Don't you think this morning David would have wanted to get in the DeLorean and go back a little bit and fix all this stuff that he had messed up and go back and get himself and shake himself and say, you don't need to leave this battle. You don't need to go home for a vacation. You don't need to go up on that roof. You need to get back out there and do what you're supposed to do. But David can't do that. Doc Brown can't save him this time. But you know what he does? What he says is, you know what? I can't go back in time. But you know what the best I can do now is? The best I can do now is remember. Is remember. You see, because remembering is going to keep me from going down that path again. You want me to tell you what the... Go away, horsefly. You want me to tell you what the key to restoration is? Here's the key to restoration. The key to restoration is confession and repentance. That is the key to restoration. I want to tell you this morning that David made a colossal mess of things. David made a colossal mess. But it could have been worse. You know why? Because even though David made a mess of things, David was willing to clean it up. David was willing to fix it. But you know what David learned? There are no cheap fixes. David learned there are no quick fixes to this problem. This morning, I want to tell you that Psalm 38 instructs the child of God in the matter of Repentance. So, uh, verse number 18 control, uh, has, it contains two critical statements. Look with me at verse number 18 if you would. These are the two critical statements uh, that David made in this psalm. He says, For I will declare mine iniquity, and then he says, I will be sorry from my sin. You see, when Nathan, the prophet Nathan, pointed his finger at David, David knew the jig was up, okay? David had looked all around him and he had thought that, he had, that he, had, he had covered his tracks and that he had looked in every direction and he had some roadblock in every direction. He thought he looked at every angle, but the direction that David forgot to look in was up because God saw. In fact, Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Let's look at these two things that David did. First, he said, for I will declare mine iniquity. When David declared his iniquity to God, he was simply acknowledging and admitting to what God 
already knew. He was, he was, um, he was reporting this sin to God. And basically, as he was reporting this sin to God, what he was saying is, all right, God, the cover-up's over. The cover-up's over. I'm done with the cover-up. Uh, the New Testament word confess literally means to agree along with God that your sin is wrong. That's what confess means. It means I agree along with God that my sin is wrong. And that's what David is doing here. I want you to see the second thing he said. He said, second, he said, I will be sorry for my sin. David's sorry is different than the kind of sorry that me and you know today. David's sorry meant, you know what, the next time I'm tempted to sin, I am not going to give in because I do not want to experience this again. I'm going to think twice the next time temptation comes its way. Let me tell you something. Every child is sorry that they got their hand caught in the cookie jar. My wife's caught my hand in the cookie jar a couple times. And I'm sorry that I got caught. Because there were some good cookies, double stuffed. Double stuffed Oreos. Mm. All right, back to the message. But you know what? Every child is sorry when he gets his hands caught in the cookie jar. Why? Because everyone is sorry when they get caught. And you know what I call that? I call that cookie jar sorry. Okay? But the Bible gives us a Bible definition of what godly sorrow looks like. The Bible gives us a Bible definition of what Bible sorry looks like. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 7. We're going to look at two verses in 2 Corinthians 7. We're going to look at verse number 10 and verse number 11. 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 10 and verse number 11, it says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness is wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You know what godly sorrow is? Real, true Godly sorrow. Here's what real, true, godly sorrow is. Godly, real, true sorrow produces a life change. It's what godly sorrow is. If your sorrow did not produce a life change, then it was not real sorrow. It was not godly sorrow. It was fake, temporary, cookie jar sorrow. Because cookie jar sorrow does not produce a life change, but godly sorrow does. And that is the definition of godly sorrow. No wonder that godly sorrow is what produces a salvation not to be repented of. You see, when a man gets this type 
of repentance. He will follow the Lord in believer's baptism. He'll join his local New Testament church. He'll have a heart to give. He'll have a hatred for sin. You might even say he becomes a new creature. But surface sorrow or surface regret does not save. Let me give you an example. A man that is, his life is consumed with sin. He's a drunk. He's a thief. He's an adulterer. He's a gambler. This sin starts to take a toll on his family and takes a toll on his wife. And his wife says, I'm going to leave you if you don't change. He will, he will do anything to save his marriage. So he crawls into the pastor's office and he says that he's sorry and he wants Jesus to help him. And if that means he has to pray the sinner's prayer, then so be it. He will do whatever he has to do to save his marriage. He'll do whatever is necessary. You see, rather than seeing his need for a savior, what he's asking for is a temporary fix. He's not sincere. He's just doing it. It's just on the surface. It's not going to, this is the kind of sorry that's not going to produce a change in him. It's fake sorry. So rather than seeing his need for a savior, he's asking God for a quick fix. Bible salvation and the true heart of repentance does not say, God, assist me. True salvation and true repentance says, God, save me. See, a Christian exhibiting godly sorrow has an intense desire to be clear. What does that mean, to be clear? Well, here in verse number 11 of 2 Corinthians 7, it gives us some results of godly sorrow. When you have this true godly sorrow, not the cookie jar sorrow that's temporary and that doesn't produce a change, when you have the, this real, true, godly sorrow that produces a life change, there's going to be some results in your life. And it lists his results in verse 11. If you look at verse 11, I'll call these out and I'll tell you what they are. First, it says in verse 11, it brings a carefulness. What this carefulness is, is an, is an earnestness to get right with God now rather than later. Next, we see that it brings a clearing of yourselves. You know what that is? That is, a, uh, that is a desire to make a defense. My sins are gone, my dukes are up, and I'm the, it's not going to happen again. And then it says it brings an indignation. That indignation in you is anger for what sin has produced in your life. And then it says it brings a fear. That fear is a, a terror. Uh, it, it is a terror of what is left when sin runs its course. Next, it says a vehement desire. What that vehement desire is, is an intense reaction to sin. From now on, when you see sin, you're going to react differently now than you used to react. Then it's going to bring a zeal. A zeal, that means a hot fervency to do right. Then it says it's going to bring a revenge. What that revenge is, it's a desire to see justice. Now you want to see right be done. No wonder God wanted Psalm 38 in the Bible. 
No wonder God wanted David to put Psalm 38 in the songbook of the Bible because he wanted me and you to see that there are consequences to sin today. There are consequences to sin. You have sin in your life. I don't have to go out and I don't have to call out sin. I don't have to name the sin. You know what is sin. You know what is right. You know what is wrong. If we have sin in our life, I'm here to tell you today that there are consequences to that sin. No wonder he wanted us to have a biblical example of confession, a biblical example of repentance. No wonder he wants us to remember. It was a young Italian artist named Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci, he began to paint a picture one day of a young child, and he painted the child as an angel, a very angelic child. When he got done painting this picture, he loved it so much that he kept it. In fact, Leonardo da Vinci hung this portrait up in his studio. And every time he would get angry or every time he would get upset, he would look at this picture and it would melt away his anger and it would melt that away and he would have a good spirit about it. Many, many years later, uh, Leonardo da Vinci wanted to paint an opposite to this picture. He wanted to paint a picture of a man that personifies evil as an opposite to this picture. So he sent out and they, they had to send out people to look for models and they looked for models and they had a diligent search and they found this one man, this one man whose face was scarred with sin. And you could tell that a life of sin had taken a toll on this angry, bitter man. Well, one day it came time to paint the painting and Leonardo da Vinci was in the studio and this angry, bitter man whose face was, was scarred from years of sin came into that studio, looked up to that picture and told Leonardo da Vinci, do you remember that that was me? Do you remember that I'm the little kid in that picture? But decades of crime and sin had taken a toll on this man. And these two portraits tell an amazing story of a life ruined by sin. You see, when the enemy wins, those scars remain on our lives. When the enemy wins, those scars remain on our marriages, they remain on our homes, they remain on our churches. Satan is on the prowl today. And he is looking for another victim. But David has some advice for me and you. And the advice that he has for us, remember. Remember. But you know what? Children of God are punished by God because they belong to him. God doesn't have to punish someone who's lost. God doesn't have to punish someone who's never accepted Christ as their Savior because you know why? Because Satan already has you. Satan's already got you. But you know what? If 
If you're in here today and you don't know 100% without a shadow of a doubt, then when you draw your last breath on earth, that you open your eyes and see Jesus in heaven, you can know that. You don't have to guess about it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think about it. It can be settled. The Bible says you can know that ye have eternal life. In just a minute, we're going to have an invitation. And I'm going to ask two questions. Number one, I'm going to ask that if you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, make that the day today where you do that. Make sure when you leave this church building today, you know 100% without a shadow of a doubt that when you leave this earth, you will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. It's very simple. All you have to do is accept what Jesus has done for you. And you can come down. Everybody's eyes are going to be closed and their heads are going to be bowed and no one's going to be looking. And you can come down here and you can get my attention. And while the music's playing, I'll take a Bible and I'll show you a couple verses and you can know that you're on your way to heaven. Second thing I'm going to ask is that maybe there's a Christian in here today. Maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe that sin hasn't been too far yet. Oh, there'll always be consequences for sin, but I want to tell you that the longer you're in sin, the worse the consequences will be. Maybe today you want to come and you want to lay something at this altar. We don't have to know what it is. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's adultery. I don't care if it's cheating on your taxes. Sin is sin. Maybe there's something you need to come and you need to lay some sin down on this altar. Because there are consequences to sin. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. What was David's advice to us? He wants us to remember. Maybe today, I just thought about this. Maybe today you want to come because you want God to keep you from sin. Maybe you want to come today to this altar not because you're admitting that, that you have sinned and you want to get back right with God. Maybe you want to come to this altar today and ask the Holy Spirit to keep you from sin and to keep you from temptation. And maybe you want uh, the Holy Spirit to strengthen you where the next time temptation does come your way, you'll have the ability to say no. Whatever the case may be, when the music plays in just a minute, you do whatever the Lord has laid on your heart.